When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I talk to the largest brands, you know, weekly, and no one slowed down during this downturn. In fact, they're all speeding up. Like they're doubling down, not just on where they're investing, but, you know, the products that they're building, the experiences they're building, because they know and have seen enough to say there's a ton of experiences to be unlocked here, both financially and experientially. And we're not going to miss a beat on that. And we're going to double down. Hi everyone, this is Raoul Pal, the CEO and co-founder of Real Vision, and welcome to my podcast. Every week, I'm lucky enough to speak to tons of smart and innovative people in the financial game. I get so much insight from these conversations, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast, so I can share that knowledge with you. I hope you learn from the discussions, and you can always find more in-depth content at realvision.com. Enjoy the show. Jared Dicker, finally, good to get you back, my friend. Thanks for having me. Last time we saw you, you were just about to embark on a new journey, uh, a journey to TCG. So first, give people a bit of your backstory so they can catch up if they didn't see the first interview. And then I want to dig into what the hell you've been up to. Yeah, great. Yeah, Apart so from I'm posting about music on Twitter, which I, you and I yeah. are geeks over. I know, I know, I know. I love, I love talking to you about music. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's another great benefit of this relationship. Um, so uh, what have I been up to? So I've been at TCG for about 16 months. Uh, for those unfamiliar, TCG is the churning group, uh, about a decade old uh, consumer investment firm uh, that really kind of focuses on trying to identify new emerging trends in consumer, um, both early and now later stages, uh, as well as just being highly operative focused. Like we deeply understand media, we deeply understand entertainment, sports, and the business of uh, creating within all these industries. And we love to work with companies to really help them uh, expand their businesses there. Uh, I joined to start a crypto fund <laughs> um, back, uh, back last uh, August, which we've successfully done called TCG Crypto. Uh, it's an early stage fund that kind of invests at this intersection of both uh, consumer and crypto. So really trying to identify inflection points of how um, new individuals will come into this space or how existing individuals will maintain within this space, but really carries a very similar investment thesis focus as we do at TCG, which is first really identifying heavy passion areas, um, seeing like whether that's niche, macro, whatever it may be. And then trying to understand how that's uniquely unlocked by crypto. So traditionally, you know, you may look at um, passionate audiences and say, what can we build around that? And we've done that with Barstool Sports and Hodinkee, Crunchyroll, Meat Eater, um, a bunch of brands uh, in that arena. On the crypto side, it kind of takes it a bit step further, right? It's not just about passionate audiences, but uh, passionate participants, people who are passionate around ownership and what they could really do with that. So we've moved really fast. You know, we've done about 24 deals in a year. Um, we predominantly lead, co-lead these deals, and they kind of run the gamut across all of consumer, which I'm happy to dig in deeper with. So what are you seeing? Because, you know, it's really interesting because you're, you know, I passionately believe, as you do, that the next wave is this mass adoption by people in ways that they don't yet know. You know, it's not by crypto junkies, it's by ordinary people. And so there's a lot I want to dig in. But 
what are you seeing? What are you, what's your core thesis so far? And then what are you seeing that's, that's backing that up or giving you new ideas? Yeah, so the, so the core thesis, um, not to overuse the word, but I think passion is very important. Um, to kind of deeply understand here. I think if you're really trying to build businesses um, within the Web3 ecosystem, uh, there's a lot of concentration on speculation. Um, and speculation can be can be a passion <laughs> for many folks, uh, absolutely. But as we talk about kind of new entrants and new interests, right, it's really important to really identify like what people are going to care about outside of market cycles, things that are very important to them that, you know, make them feel good or make them feel bad, but seem somewhat critical, um, you know, to their to their experiences online. So that's really like the first thing that we look at. Like, even though we are a crypto fund, we really try to identify like what the incumbent market looks like, um, what areas uh, seem seem a bit conservative, what areas could be a bit offensive, and how could we really kind of like pour gasoline on that um, for the ones where passion is core, but crypto uniquely enables it. I'd say one area that I'm particularly excited about that we're heavily investing in is this um is this notion that we've observed over, I'd say, the past six to nine months, which is regardless of whether you want to say Web 2 or Web 3 or whether or not something needs a blockchain, there's something incredible happening in the Web 3 space, which is individuals are able to uh, participate and engage in experiences that previously felt either professionally or personally prohibitive. Um, and what does that really mean, right? Like one example is like, I want to be like you mentioned, I love music. You love music. I'd love to manage a record label in no way in hell. In our fantasy <laughs> lives, that's all we do, right? You and I. <laughs> right, right, right. My dream is to do that. I have no business doing that, right? Like my background, even though I was a music writer and I've been in the space for some time, like I'm not going to get hired by Warner to be an executive of their label. Um, but there's companies, right? One of which Hume, which, you know, we're, we're working with that is creating that for individuals. It's a decentralized record label where people could sign up, they could be a part of the label, they can manage Metastars, the direction of them make decisions, but really kind of gives you the opportunity to experience something that otherwise you know, would have been somewhat prohibitive. And I think we're seeing that um, exponentially grow because where that's starting to move these sort of communities in crypto is that previously, like, especially in the NFT space, the incentive to, to get out has been bigger than the incentive to stay in, right? You like buy an NFT, people want to scream, oh, it's a community, it's valuable, it's amazing till they're blue in the face. But in the end, when you join these things, you know, in the past, you wait for, you know, a significant price increase and then you sell out of it, right? Like the incentive to stay in does not outweigh the incentive to get out financially. In these sort of environments, it flips it, right? The incentive to stay in could or should be far greater than the incentive to get out, right? Because of that passion and because of that newfound experience. So I use Hume as the record label example. Um, there's companies like what Mike Dudas is doing with LinkStow, where, you know, you can own a golf course and have a say in like, you know, this, 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 this future golf, um, you know, apparel lifestyle brand. You could be in Wagner United and you could buy a Premier League team. Um, there's another one that we uh, recently... Uh, invested in called Archive, which is a decentralized museum, you know, but quite simply dubbed, what would it be like to curate the Smithsonian? And individuals who join that community can choose which physical items to acquire. They've acquired five things already, you know, the original um, uh, patent for the first computer, 
um, the original VMA Moonman, which you could relate to from like 1984. And they choose which assets they want to uh, acquire, they curate, and then they decide where should we distribute this? Should this go to a Smithsonian? Should this go to the MoMA? But really giving people these experiences that we hope and are banking on for the most part, people are going to want to remain invested and you know remain engaged in those because it's something that they're getting there that they can't get anywhere else. Yeah, it feels that the really big thing here, well, one of the really big things is culture and community becomes an asset class because, as you say, these digital assets within a community just make sense. And if it's a passion, you're driven to stay within that world, you know, whether it's the music world, whether it's the art world, whether it's the movie world, there's all of these big cultural phenomenons that carry real cultural currency that Web3 really enables. Yeah, yeah. And the other, like, I mean, it's all about building blocks. Like, I do believe that everything that's happened to date is pretty essential for us to more firmly understand, like, what could be done, what's going to drive user interests, like, what's going to incentivize people to more deeply engage. Um, the biggest theme for that is probably ownership, right? Like, we've we've heard that thrown around many, many kind of crypto funds and focuses are really around this notion of ownership that, you know, you've You've effectively rented land and experiences on the internet for the past 20 years. And now, you know, you may want to own your assets, decide what to do with them, own your data, right? There's all different pockets of this. Um, but where I think that's kind of hit a ceiling and where this kind of experiential theme and passion theme takes it to the next level is like, okay, I could own something. So what? Right. And so many companies that have been building this space have really anchored on that, like own this because you couldn't own things digitally previously because NFTs have really, you know, unlocked that from a technical point of view. But our focus is like, OK, I own something. What could I do with it? Right. So it's really around like the the like deeply concentrated utility of when you purchase something, what you can do with it. Right. So um there's a ton of examples there, but one really great one that, again, we're going to talk a lot about music. You said that, but one is this company, Medallion. And um, uh, Medallion's fascinating. You know, the founder is the former CEO of Songkick, uh, previously found CrowdSurge. And his approach to like Web3 and what it really means for the artist fan relationship is that direct to consumer, right, really doesn't like it. It exists, but it's not particularly strong as it relates yeah. to music, right? So we all know this, right? Early days when the internet started, like your relationship with an artist was like Google searching when someone would be on tour, hopefully buying tickets. Facebook made it a little bit closer where you could follow them. You could follow their Facebook page, but you're basically just getting updates and you might as well be talking to a bot or it'd be a community manager. Twitter takes it like a step further where, you know, maybe the artist behind the handle is actually the artist and maybe they'll engage with me. But what the NFT space has really brought, like, because of the pure mechanics of how it works and people investing money and joining discords and everything that kind of comes with it, is a way more direct relationship. And what Medallion did, which I think is, like, pretty brilliant, you know, as someone who's a massive fan of many artists, is they said, well, what do super fan clubs look like on chain, right? That instead of just signing up for, like, an email address and getting alerts and newsletters to purchase tickets, what if artists released, you know, 500 to let's say a thousand super fan NFTs to their fans. And that could be a block list or allow list, however you want. Maybe it's top Spotify listeners, maybe it's a raffle, 
but they release a limited amount, like 500 to 1,000. And then those fans who get those NFTs, they get a ton of benefits from that, right? If you hold the NFT, maybe you get preferred seating at a show or early ticketing or backstage pass, discount merch, physical merch. And it really kind of like rotates the relationship between artists and fans where you already you more deeply understand like who your fans are, but also you work to provide increasingly more value for those super fan holders. And then there's an amazing economy that could be built on top of that, right? Like there may be a secondary market now where, you know, in, in an amazing world, you know, like uh, the existing members of the Velvet Underground return to do one show and you're like, I need that, but I'm too late to get in. I'll pay anything, right? To kind of like be a part of that. So those sort of functions, I think, are like, like you use the word culture, like it really is building a tighter connection between things people really want to do where there's a ton of value where, you know, the fans do in fact have a lot more control uh, with what they want to do with it. They could keep these experiences. They could sell these experiences. They could share these experiences, but it's really kind of like switching the way that these things work online in a way more direct way versus artists having to manage these relationships across all these platforms. And how are people getting across the hurdle of NFTs? It's like, you know, you're a music fan. You don't care about NFTs. Yes, yeah. you care about the rights you get within the community. You care about maybe the rights to the music you might get given or artwork. But this whole NFT MetaMask Nexus is a fucking nightmare for the average person. Yeah. So, you know, all of us have had to go down the rabbit hole, make all the mistakes, but we can't do that to the next 500 million people. What are you yes. seeing on that front? How, how are people solving that? Yes. So I think... Um... I have this saying that I've like thought of pre like pre even thinking of crypto as the business model where oftentimes the most direct way to kind of drive your business is through like indirect means right it's like people people are always like challenging Spotify for taking so much of a cut um for artist streams or challenging YouTube right for taking too much of a cut but 9 out of 10 people that you talk to at least behind the scenes love those platforms because of distribution, right? It's like, look, like that's my top of funnel. Like I'm being judged by how much money I'm making from Spotify or YouTube. But in reality, if I'm not there and people can't find me, then do I even exist? So you basically like leverage these like indirect means of saying, okay, give me more top of funnel scale. And then I'm going to work to like drive the relationship down the funnel further. And that may, you know, mean membership or selling merch or seeing live events, all of these other things. I think the NFT space is going to evolve into a very similar bucket, which is right now, the whole idea was, okay, let's sell NFTs, right? Off the bat, we're going to sell these NFTs for, let's say, one ETH, and here's the roadmap, and here's everything that you're going to get out of this relationship by buying this NFT. But that is like a direct way to solve something short-term that I think in long-term, like, in long-term, like, it, it, it really, like shortens your audience. It's a hard, to your point, barrier to entry. You have to put ETH in your wallet. You have to buy this NFT. Many of your existing fans are going to be like, I'm not interested. So the indirect path that I think is less obvious, but broadens that funnel, gets more people on board and interested is actually making these things free, right? Like I feel that, I feel that, and this is, these are very loosely held non-proven hypotheses, but, um, you know, one is, 
if crypto is a native model for the internet, right? And if all, like if business models really drive product strategy across the web, which we've seen it, like advertising, you know, changed the way that people built products because it was all just about scale. Um, you just want to reach as many people as possible and be able to monetize them. Um, subscriptions brought it a bit lower down the funnel where it was like, okay, some stuff is free, but we're going to get some people to pay. Um, but it's a monthly subscription or an annual, but it's very easy to like divorce that relationship. I feel crypto again, loosely held still to be proven is a very tight relationship as it relates to like that loyalty of like a web native business model, which is people hold the NFT. There's really no reason to like get rid of that NFT as long as the brand artist, you know, provider continues to put value in there, you effectively have lifetime value of customers right away. So with free to own type NFTs, I think it's really interesting because um, like I'll use Tyco, for example, uh, the DJ. Tyco launched a fan club on chain. Um, the onboarding was very simple, right? It was done by way of Polygon, but the fan just went to the Tyco page. You connected your wallet. You put in your email address. If you wanted to put any more information, you can, but it wasn't mandatory. And then the NFT gets dropped in your wallet. And then by having that NFT, you could join the Discord community. You could get all of these different access or, or, or benefits or perks. But it was very simple. It was basically like sign and it's free. No money, nothing's exchanged. And I feel more and more communities will actually start to do that where these NFTs are free you can put them within people's wallets. So there's zero transaction, but then the real work is like, okay, now that you have a direct relationship with this customer, you can now create these experiences that you need this NFT to do it. And there doesn't need to be a cap, right? It could say when Tyco, Tyco could just keep this rolling and say, as you want to join, this is how you join the community and these are the benefits of it and why, but it's way more seamless. And then you figure out new unique ways to sell. Maybe it's digital merch. Maybe there's new things to do with NFTs, but that scope, I think is going to really start to open things up because if people have the choice to go through the process, but know that it's free and just sign up through it, then, you know, my guess is that they're going to be more inclined. And we've seen that with the Tyco projects. Like, I, um, these numbers are probably like 5% off, but I think in his first week of launching his NFT membership club, he had about 2,600 people sign up and participating within the community. And I think compared to Discord, like that amount took them six months. So like, I love this idea that maybe we could prove that these Web3 native technologies are actually better at doing what the former technology tried to do, and that will get people to start to move. Yeah, I mean, I've, this is one of the, the thesis we're working on at Science Magic Studios is this whole idea is how do you scale? And free seems a better way to scale because it's proven in the past, as you say, in Web2, Free scales really well. So why should it not scale in Web3? And free is a different relationship because you actually have a relationship. And and the people who've shocked me, I've, I've had conversations with the guys at Ticketmaster. Have you bumped into them yet? I mean, um, I, yeah, I mean, many times in my life, for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, but they've issued 10 million NFTs, more than anybody else in the world. Nobody knows about this. Yeah. Because their wallet, so if you now go to a concert, you've got a Ticketmaster wallet, you get your ticket into the wallet. Well, it's a Web3 enabled wallet. Yeah. So then yeah. they drop you NFTs in exactly the format you're looking at. And I just think it's really clever because what a lot of people don't understand is at this scale, you know, everyone's so focused on these micro communities, build up around some NFTs and what do you do with 10,000 people and how do you monetize? 
when you're operating at scale like this, you build a social graph of everybody's wallets. You see what's in their wallets, what other brands are affiliated with, what they do. You might have an e email relationship with them as well, but you have this direct relationship where you can now do things and your marketing costs go to zero. You know, I think you're dead right in your thesis. Yeah. You're yet to be proven out thesis. <laughs> I completely yeah, I agree. Mean, no, no. I mean, I mean, I absolutely agree. Like, I feel, you know, a big theme in this space is, you know, giving more agency to, you know, consumers or fans, you know, as it relates to like what they can do with this asset. Right. And, you know, so many things that come up are, uh, well, why is this better than email? Right. And you think about like the purpose of email, right? The purpose of email was like a communication method. And, you know, you could go back and forth. There's all of these other things that you could do as it relates to like the communication side. But now it's become like a graveyard for like newsletters, for spam. And I spend so much time like not reading my personal email or missing emails because it's just completely polluted with everything that email tried to basically take on as it relates to like identity and experiences and relationships across the web. And I believe that as NFTs evolve, like both in like their function and what they could do, and mainly like the adoption of companies like Ticketmaster and others creating them and consumers getting comfortable with that experience, it's going to become very, very, very obvious that this way is just better, right? And the examples that you gave are like so right on. Like a year ago, we were talking about this with ticketing. It's like ticketing, I go to Yankee games all the time. I see fish all the time. I just saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I see all these bands. And my relationship with them by way of like a very important thing, which is the ticket, is just very ephemeral. It's like I get the ticket, I use it, I leave, right? When you start to think of like an NFT as a ticket, it's like, okay, I have this NFT as a ticket. That ticket actually just opted me in, right, to the fan club. So I'll get updates by way of the NFT or app as to new events or things that are coming. Maybe I go to a Red Hot Chili Pepper show with the NFT ticket. And when you go there, you scan right, your NFT and you get merch, right, That's that only people that were in the arena are able to get. Like there's there's millions and millions of things that could do with it. On top of that, right, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to focus less on the financial side because I feel like that's where we win. That's where we could really win these arguments because everybody wants to constantly be like anchored in like the fact that it's money and people are paying and granted crypto is inherently financial there. But I love to focus on like that side because of that experience and the utility and why this technology is just better than the alternative. But there is also the other side, like secondary sales and how, you know, league owners and team owners and people can really start to think about like reinventing how their economics work around this. But to me, it's an absolute it's an absolute no brainer. And I feel that we're starting to see that in early days. And as you know, as the incumbents start to take this on the Ticketmaster example. I don't know if you like Warner Music has been doing a ton of great investments in the Web3 space, Universal, like, you know, built, um, you know, built the board eight band, like as, as uh, uh, I think like Mattel did Cryptoys, like as these start to get more and more obvious, then it'll become a lot more seamless of an experience. And I think like how I win a lot of these arguments, like I really think we're going to get to the fact where like these arguments online is like, well, why does it need crypto? Why does it need you know, an NFT is going to just be like, oh, this is just a better way of doing this than 
using my email or OAuthing in with Facebook or doing all of these other things that felt like Band-Aid solutions, this could be somewhat native. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I mean, look, so I've got a drawer next to me that's full of concert tickets. I've got above my head, I've got my Live Aid concert ticket and my Live Aid program. Oh, my but God. These concert tickets, you know, yes, I need to get them framed and do all of that shit, but there's a whole ton of them and I don't know what to do and they go back to like 1978 or something stupid. And an NFT is a much better way because imagine all of the people who went to Live Aid, right? That was a really massive experience for the world. And there was only 200,000 of us at the two stadiums. And that's it. Now, there's a magical relationship amongst us that is worth a lot of money. And not money as in monetized, but worth a lot to me as an yeah. experience. And these things just power all of this. Like... You know, just to look at, I'd love to see your social graph of your tickets. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Jared likes this and this and this. He probably likes this and this and this. You know, yes, it's kind of like Spotify, but it's also not because it Spotify only does Spotify. But it could be, oh, and Jared likes these fashion brands and this kind of sports. And, you know, that's that's amazing. I mean, I think of dating apps in like 10 years time. That's yeah. a huge wallet. Yeah, and some more example like, connecting the dots through data. Like I was thinking the other day, you know, we have for a lot of, for a lot of these NFT projects, right? It's like allow list, block list. You try to submit early, you try to get your wallet on. And it's like, what's it going to take for, we'll use music as an example again. Like what's it going to take for like Bruce Springsteen, right? To want to do an NFT ticket <laughs> or, you know, the Chili Peppers or any of these bands. And there's really unique things that you could start to think about leveraging existing data but then taking advantage of like how NFTs work, which are like provable one-to-one fan owns, you know, can't be replicated type experiences. Like one example is like, what if Springsteen for his tour right next year, which has launched said, you know, pre-sale tickets go to my top 1000 listeners on Spotify, right? If you're one of those, because Spotify has that data and you connect your wallet right? Then you have access to purchase the ticket. You're not waiting in the queue and you get these certain seats. Like there's, there's amazing ways to connect that or like TikTok. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm Chipotle and I'm building a new loyalty program by way of NFTs. And I want to know, you know, the top people that are making, you know, funny, it's a bad example, funny Chipotle content or something like you leverage that data. Like, I think there's going to be a lot more interesting ways of connecting the dots that just strengthen that utility more and more because those things are very difficult to do with email. People want to be able to like, to your point, like showcase what they're doing or that they were chosen or that it is theirs. NFTs inherently do that. They sit within your wallet. You choose what to do with it. It's like, I hate saying we're early days because everyone in crypto says that. And I'm not using that as a cop out, but like as it relates to like these cultural type experiences or media, which you and I talk about all the time or music or sports or, you know, entertainment, like high passion arenas, there's like a hundred different things where 
NFTs and crypto at large natively change the way that we either operate or create or monetize or function that so many different companies are, you know, currently experimenting with and working on. So I'm very bored. The one that I, the one I give an example of is Disney. Right, Disney's a two hundred and fifty billion dollar firm. What is the tangible or the intangible value of its community plus cultural impact plus brand? It's probably a trillion at least on top. Yeah. Yep. Right. Absolutely. And that's what they're leaving off the table until, you know, they start creating communities around certain things, whether it's whether it's, you know, original stuff or whether it's Marvel or what it doesn't really matter. Disney have so much cultural value of which they currently now monetize it over time in a certain quite clunky way. But actually getting people together and allowing kind of people to build on top of the network, create experiences for people within the, the, the sub-brands of Disney. I mean, it's gigantic. Yeah, and there's like, there's very like, there's even like a lot of low-hanging fruit stuff, right? Which is like thinking about how these larger brands encourage their fans to communicate amongst one another, right? Like that's kind of hard right now. It's like, I'll use like, like I think of fish, right? Like I've, I've, I've seen fish 200 something times. I know a lot of the community. Where do we communicate? We communicate on Twitter. Maybe we like text. Maybe we have a listserv, right? You think about if you start to create these more unique experiences anchored in like NFTs or digital goods, like you not only are creating like assets that people could use or highlight or build on, but you're also like really tightening the connection to one another. It's like if if Disney dropped in Kanto and everyone who went to AMC theaters day one to see Encanto could claim their Encanto NFT. And then, you know, they built these experiences where those people could come in, they could engage, maybe future worlds. There's like a metaverse where you could like have your own character, but there's so many areas of being able to capture individuals and their interest on the path of, you know, their overall experience with a brand that's currently missing, right? Someone the other day said to me, which I thought was really interesting around the free to own is like, NFTs are like checkpoints, like around the internet. It's like, oh, I'm interested in this. Well, you know, this is my interest. I attended this event. I, I'm going here. Like, I like this IP. Like, you're just kind of threading to your point, like all of this data on top of it, where now these brands could say, okay, like, let's bring these people together. Like, let's, Let's cultivate this experience. And what's great, again, loosely held hypothesis, but I think very important is that right now, these brands or these individuals or even like long tail creators, they're having to manage so much shit that's related to their customer and their audience across these platforms and what these platforms give. It's like Facebook, I'm here, but I'm getting this data and I'm putting it in my CRM. You know, Spotify, maybe I'm getting this data, putting it in my CRM. Twitter, this data, CRM. And the NFT could really like change that as well. Like where if you have the wallet address and, you know, the customer sees value in this, they'll provide that data to you to better that relationship. And then all of a sudden, you're not just trying to carve everything out of where you're distributing, but you actually have that from the get-go. All of that stuff is just additional value now that you're getting because you harness that relationship by way of this software. And that, that like, I'll argue for days against people who don't think that's unique because I don't think that you know, that particularly exists in, in this scale away. Well, well, you know that it is because right now everybody has to use their email list and then they've now created newsletters because you couldn't add enough value into email. So now right. you're trying to get, capture their attention, but the problem is there's too many 
emails and it's really hard to build these social graphs out in a more unique way but this is a more specific way of giving them unique value and saying hey listen you're a loyal person within our community you've got this now this allows you to do this the email is not as frictionless in fact it's quite hard to do you need to click on this claim this email for that fill out a form do something none of that all that goes away yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like everyone's like, why not use it? It's like the experience today is yeah, why, not. Why easy. not use the normal postal mail? <laughs> right. Why even have email? Right. Right. It's like um, for those that didn't listen to the previous one in my um, in my previous life, I, I was CEO of a protocol called Poet, and um, uh, it was back in 2017, 2018, and the whole premise was let's put IP on chain, and people thought we were crazy. Um, but, but, and now, and now we see like what could be done with that. Um, so it's really all about timing, but it really got me deep into this space. But I remember back then the argument was like, why blockchain? And it's like, well, why fax machine versus email? It's, it's just the same stuff. And I get the, I get the challenge. Um, and that's what excites me about building and investing in this space. But there's no doubt in my mind that as we start to prove these things out, it becomes very obvious that we're like this sort of technology and software and where it's going to expand to, how that is just a better, more preferred type solution to do existing things and also all of the new things, you know, that it's just going to create on top of that. What's your hypothesis these days on social tokens, utility tokens? Because again, everyone's a little bit stuck in thinking any everything needs to be an NFT. And I'm not sure that fungibility is actually not a good thing. Is you know, it's a good thing at scale, I think. How are you thinking through that and what are you seeing? Yeah, no, you kind of hit it on the head. You know, a lot of a lot of discourse around social tokens has really moved to NFTs um, as, you know, becoming like the solution for that. Um, I feel mainly because NFTs are a strong identity layer as it relates to like who you are within this community. Um, I think uh, indirectly nouns kind of like really accelerated that sort of trend where people started to see, okay, you can join this community by way of your NFT. That NFT gives you the ability to like vote on proposals, have discourse within the community, make decisions, excuse me, as it relates to the treasury. Um, and they're seeing that people aren't selling them, right? They're seeing that like, because people have these NFTs and they're getting all this value out of it. And their noun is so um, associated with their identity um, that that's actually built a very, strong sticking point as it relates to like keeping people within these communities, getting them to participate, seeing who doesn't participate because there's such a one-to-one -one type relationship there. Granted, nouns is pretty prohibitive for many people to join, you know, in those, <laughs> in those communities. They're very, they're very expensive um, and rare. So um, I, uh, I think both continue to be increasingly interesting. I mean, I think that you can definitely have fungible type environments where based on what you hold gives you like certain like veto power and decisioning power. Um, I think people will get a lot more kind of creative around social tokens, whether it's like a dual token type structure where one side of it, you know, is really kind of around voting and, you know, your ability to like leverage permissions. The other side, you know, could be a lot more transactional. Um, but I would say like the main observation that I do think is very interesting is that, you know, NFTs, the NFT encroachment on these social token type platforms and properties, I think has a lot to do with the stickiness component of people having a connection to this sort of thing. Maybe it kind of ropes them in for a bit longer for selling. Um, 
puts kind of like their identity to it so that they're somewhat responsible for like what they do in their behaviors. Um, again, like there is also discourse around like ZKs and, you know, ZK proofs, like making that more anonymized. So that would then go back to the way of kind of like what the social token side is. But I think both are very interesting. I mean, I think like what we'll see is like, there's, there's a lot of different purposes for each of those and, you know, just identifying, what makes most sense on the platform is going to be kind of like most critical. Like there may be, there may be situations where there's companies where, um, you know, ERC 720s are definitely the preferred because they're like, like, like all the NFTs look the same. Like what is the point in the end of like having an NFT? And if there is different hierarchical approaches of like what you could vote on, what you could manage, it is better to be more isolated to like a quantity amount, you know, than just a single NFT. So I think it's like, I love that argument and battle because i think we're going to see that start to play out a lot more um but you do you identify it people are gravitating towards like nfts as you know and how i think of it is the world that you were talking about before where everybody's building a social graph you're getting dropped loads of assets you're buying assets right our wallets are going to become overwhelming unusable because we already get spam and somebody's gonna have to solve that so we've got this mess already i think social tokens solve that at scale so I can reward you as a fan by giving you social tokens that then you can buy NFTs with or do stuff with. Yes, yes. So I don't have to keep issuing NFTs just to keep in contact with you. I give you a reward system that Reddit's doing pretty well at scale, yes. and that can drive into NFTs or experiences or whatever. So you can have deeper layers of engagement and this superficial transactional layer that you talked about. The ones that I've also been following in this is... People are like, well, social tokens we haven't seen. Obviously, the ape token is super interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's already worth whatever billion dollars, and that's after a big correction. Super interesting. The one that nobody remembers is FTX, the FTC yes. token. Yes. It's a social utility token for FTX users. It's been incredibly useful. It's worked really well. And the, the space has kind of missed that. They thought of it as a cryptocurrency and didn't realize that it's not. It's a utility token. Yeah. I mean, I guess like another question I'd have for you is like, do we, are we inhibiting the opportunity for social tokens by believing that it is, or not believing, but just, just seeing through the examples so far in this space is that a lot of these communities, right, start with the token and then, you know, they build it out. Like they like, you know, bring in the users, the functions, the utility, the participation. What I'm seeing, you know, with a lot of like, I mean, just speaking on like our companies, like I think out of the 24 deals we've done so far, 20 have yet to launch a token and 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 plan to, right? But the approach now is, you know, of course there's like probably, you know, there's market dynamics and sentiment, of course, around that. But the other thing is kind of like, look, like don't launch your token until you more deeply understand like what the product market fit is going to be or how people will use this or where that value is going to become. And I wonder if we start to see more companies doing that approach, which is okay, you know, instead of launching a token from the get, and now I have to build a product and manage an entire community of holders, right? I'm actually going to focus on building this product, get it ready to the point where I'm, you know, excited and feel it's ready for, Broader, broader market, then I introduce the token, which is going to do this. I feel like once we start to see more of that, then 
there's going to be a lot more examples. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we're doing at Real Vision. So we've built this big community. People are super engaged. We then started creating a, a, a Genesis NFT, get people engaged in that. And then as we start building out this platform vision, what we'll end up doing is creating a utility token. And we've made it clear to everybody, but it's like, we're not going to do that because it's not about monetization. And here, look, buy our utility token, we'll figure it out. We want it to be a proper journey of which we've earned the right and the community have earned the right to have their own utility token to to reward um, and spend and use and stuff within the community. So, yeah, yeah I, I totally then, agree. And then, yeah, and then you more deeply understand, like, what people find particularly unique about the relationship with like real vision or with any of these companies like Hume, I think did a great job with that. Um, you know, the decentralized label, like web three, um, um, entertainment company that I was talking about, like they, they like first launched the Metastar angel baby, um, who performed at like art Basel and house and South by Southwest, which is like both a virtual and in-person type experience. They then launched, like, and all of that was done through Poops. So basically just fan base, like, like, like fan base participants. Then they launched like the first three singles from Angel Baby's album and gave preferred buying to the Poop type holders. Then they launched to your point, like their Hume Genesis NFT, which gives any, like, which gives buyers the ability to start to not just manage like what's happening with Angel Baby, but who the next artist should be, where they should tour all of these other things. So you just more deeply you're able to like really kind of craft that relationship, understand the experience and then deeply know like what's unique and say, okay, like this, like introducing this is going to unlock this. And everyone's like, okay, that makes sense. And not only that, I want to do that. So that's something like I'm going to be participating. Yeah, we, in we did the same with POAP. So we started decentralizing events. So as opposed to having a big event, which we will do have one or two, but we decided to, to decentralize them, have smaller local events, and everybody who goes gets POAP. So we've got 12 events going on in 12 different cities around the world from, from Delhi to LA. People go, they get POAPs because it's now proof of attendance. So yep. you've earned some community points and that'll unlock more. And if you do a lot of these events or maybe you host events and you, know, you start building this thing out into where people get real intrinsic value and you don't need to rush to the end game. I think... Slower is sometimes better than faster. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah. And yeah. And again, like we're seeing it, right? I feel even in the past year or year and a half, I'd say from like top shot to what we're seeing with NFTs to all of the different dynamics, right? Like we focused a lot on like in this one, like passion areas and what it unlocks for consumers and fans. There's also the creator side, which you're very familiar with, which is like how you start to change the ways of IP or the creation process through smart contracts and, you know, what that starts to look like, which is something else I'm like really excited about, which is like trying to move the crypto components further up the chain where it's not just about capturing value, but actually the value that's being created from like the onset of when people put things online. In just a year, we've seen that run, 
like insanely fast and we're continuing to see that. So I do, I do feel that like it's no longer, you know, a manner or a matter of like if, but when that we start to see this really kind of hit every single pocket of creation on, uh, on the web, not just on, you know, the new entrance side, but also the incumbents. Like I, I talk to, I talk to the largest brands, you know, weekly and no one slowed down during this downturn. In fact, they're all speeding up. Like they're doubling down, not just on where they're investing, but you know, the products that they're building, the experiences they're building, because they know and have seen enough to say there's a ton of experiences to be unlocked here, both financially and experientially. And we're not going to miss a beat on that. And we're going to double down right at this time when people are slowing down. So even the incumbents are doubling down, not just. I mean, you know, I, I've been shocked like by some of the conversations I've had with incumbents. They've, you know, many have reached out to me and, you know, all of the big Web2 social networks, whether they're professional networks or the, the networks that everybody knows, they've all got Web3 teams. They are oh, yeah. all taking this seriously. And everybody in the crypto space is got their heads up their asses thinking, well, they're not going to, they're, they're, they're never going to come into our game. We're going to beat them. No, no, these guys completely understand the game has changed and they get, they're coming and they're coming fast at scale. Yeah. I feel like one, one, one observation I've seen over the year too that excites me is um, I also think in like more traditional type landscapes, the, the startups in the space were always super hesitant to partner too early with companies or IP for fear of like those incumbents, maybe m like understanding what they're doing to the fact that they could like outcompete them or put them out of business. In web three, what's been an amazing observation is like, it's actually the opposite. Like a lot of these founders in this space are so deeply confident in like, what they're building, how they see things technically, their understanding of tokenomics and things that are like very more dense to the outside world. And they highly welcome. And in fact, like a lot of our, a lot of our business and relationships are around this, like meeting the leagues, meeting the entertainment companies, because there's such a, there's such a point of validation that's being identified on their side, which is like, look, we could build all of these things, but it'd be really great if we could do it with this IP or do it with this, you know, this pocket brand or this group of influencers. And I want to see Web3 founders continue to do that because I think that's definitely a strategic advantage where they're comfortable in building what they build and getting the right partners in and could. And I think Web3 means that these big platforms understand they need to coexist and they're not, their job is they cannot drive these guys out of business because if yep. not, it's not Web3. Web3 yep. needs to allow people to build on top of your network in an equitable way. And if you don't do it, then you're not doing that. So it's really interesting. I think you're right. I think people are scarred from the past of, you know, <laughs> going to talk to Google with a great idea or Facebook and before you know yeah. it, they've destroyed your business and copied you. Um, but now it feels like it's going to have to change just by the very essence of what Web3 is. Um, I want to move on to another thing you raised earlier, which is ownership and these kind of DAO structures where you've got like-minded people. I thought, I think, you know, the great example was the Constitution DAO, which failed, but it was like, oh my God, we can um, coalesce capital in seconds 
and move capital and invest it really fast. And nobody's quite sure yet of the securities laws and all of that stuff. But, you know, hey, if it's accredited investors, you can do a lot very quickly. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing in that space? You talked about uh, LinksDAO, which Mike's been on, talked about. Anything else that's interesting you're seeing? I mean, obviously, there was Flamingo down. There's a couple of others in that yeah, space. Flamingo, yeah, Flamingo, Seed Club. Um, I re- so, so the archive example, you know, that I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, I love the that. Really it's, a cool. direct, it's a direct evolution of that. Like, if you read Tom McLeod's founder story for archive, um, I think Constitution Dow was a catalyst for a lot of this, like, new experiential type thinking, which is where is there a large amount of passion um, where there's an existing audience and people who actively spend money and participate in this industry at large? And then what are certain areas of that that are either unattainable or, you know, haven't yet been exposed that, you know, could allow these people with these deep passion to continue like spending time and, and leaning in on this. And, um, you know, archive was one of those. It was basically saying like, what's more inaccessible than curating a museum? Like how, like how, how, um, how difficult is that to do unless, you know, you're on, you're on the board or, you know, you have a ton of money. And now all of a sudden it's like, there's, there's all of these artifacts that are insanely important to, you know, decades of generations that, you know, exist in the more digital world that can now kind of decide, um, not just what to acquire and showcase, but also give more people the opportunity to experience and engage with these sort of assets that, you know, uh, like otherwise would have been buried physically and, you know, more difficult to engage with. So I love that example um, because I feel like that is in an area that I'm not sure many people would have thought about disrupting. Um, but, <laughs> but clearly, a museum, no, that's not an obvious one. Right, but clearly, but clearly... Um, you know, has has a uh, has a strong you know affinity by users to you know kind of be a part of that. Um, I liked I like what Wagme United did. I like Kraushaus. You know, they're another one that's um, you know looking to work more deeply with like the NBA and engage with the teams and figure out how to how to how to get more um, participation and exposure there. What I think we'll start to see with a lot of these two is. Um, not only are the experiences going to be unique and interesting for people to participate in, but I think there's going to be like a lot of new media created around it. I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, celebrities, you know, if in sports athletes and others, like really start to gravitate more closely to this. One reason for that is I think, I think web three is still pretty vague in terms of like their relationships with like their managers and their agencies. It's like, everyone knows like, if you stream on Spotify, this is the cut, or if you do a show, this is the cut, or if you sell merch, this is the cut. But with these NFTs and, you know, these more community-based experiences in the traditional way, when emerging tech comes in that sort of like manager talent relationship, they see what that celebrity or, you know, artist could do. And then they're like, okay, next time, this is what it's going to look like. I think there's going to be a lot of people that um, understand that this is like a new pocket opportunity for them to like, better direct with customers, build out their brands and go a lot more all in. And once they start to do that, others will start to follow. So I think that'll be a big catalyst. for The other thing that I'm seeing, and uh, one of the things we're going to do at Real Vision as well, is asset management. Yeah. Because people coalesce around a particular idea, which is, you know, we've been running something, the Real Vision bot portfolio, which is a survey. You know, it does well versus the the market overall. So why not just tokenize it and give it back to the community to invest in? So this 
these investment communities we're seeing a lot of passion around. And I've got an asset management business as well, Exponential Asia Management. And they were seeing similar kind of things where people are starting to tokenize. We saw KKR doing yep. that. Um, and, you know, again, it's a passion industry investment. There's a lot of people who really like it. And it's just really interesting to see that almost everything is moving in this kind of way where you can just get like-minded people together, whether it's an NFT or whatever, to hold them together. And then they have a mission. And their mission is to go and make the most money out of whatever it is. Now, whether that's museum pieces, NFTs like 6529 has done or whatever. It's just really interesting, I think. I think massive changes are coming there. Yeah, and I think I think just to um, cap that note, what also is under discussed, but an amazing phenomenon with this is like the built-in distribution that you get through your customers or fans being owners in the experience. It's like, Previously, when you built something, right, you would launch your product and, you know, you try to attract an audience, but you're paying for Facebook ads to reach a certain audience or you're, you know, trying like it's all paid, like paid owned and earned or like the, you know, classic kind of like marketing maneuvers. And what's really interesting as it relates to the relationship when these companies have their customers or, you know, we should call them participants bought in is that they're incentivized to not just strengthen that company help build that business, make it money, but also get the word out, do distribution. So you have this, you know, very powerful energy of people who are strongly incentivized to just make this thing as big and as large as it possibly can. And that's a lot different than, you know, traditional companies too. Cause look, like I, I could, I could work at Facebook um, or I could own the stock. They're not one in the same and they don't have to be one in the same. Or you can use Facebook. And right. And not on the stock. Exactly. That's a way better example. But like in this world, it's 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 structurally it's structurally centered to kind of be one in the same where like you are incentivized for the company to succeed. It is giving you access and ability to do things that you want to be doing and you want to experience. And all of these things coming together make a very powerful engine to like make these businesses go very far and wide. OK, so the next thing we need to talk about is the metaverse. I mean, fuck, there's a lot going on in this space, right? You, you have to hold all these thoughts together, have a million hypotheses and observe everything. So Metaverse, where are you with that? What are you seeing? What are you investing in? How, are, how is everything we've spoken about going to move into that? Because it is. <laughs> so so my, my thinking with the Metaverse is that we are finally able to merge kind of the values and experiences of both the physical and digital worlds into one, right? And not quite literally, but like the experiences that we love, you know, the the things that we do offline and online, you know, are now kind of like more so coming together. Like I said something a while ago where like you used to say you're going online in the 90s or early 2000s. Then over the past decade, we're getting offline because we were too online. Now we just are, right? And we just are is kind of like this metaverse type notion. So I'm very, um, I'm very excited about it, you know, for, and we're investing in it for many reasons. Um, you know, we, we have invested in companies that are doing like operating system type infrastructure for metaverse in the defined sense of these being like more virtual worlds. I get very excited about technologies and experiences that connect the physical and the digital. So we're seeing a lot of that in fashion, right? We're seeing a lot of that in sports where we're really trying to think about how to 
closer tie that relationship and make these experiences more whole. Um, but look, like it'd be, it'd be shy for me to say like, we like everything else in crypto or in web three, um, the energy to build and invest and ship uh, has come before, you know, the user, the kind of like overall user interest. So I think what I get, what I am um, mindful of is that it's still very early in more deeply understanding, like how consumers are going to value the metaverse and where they want to spend their time, you know, um, again, whether that's in gaming, whether that's in fashion or others. So I do think that the best energy spent right now is really trying to figure out like what those experiences look like and how you could better connect the dots to make this more interesting for people to come in. And I think that that can be virtual worlds. I um, I think it's up for debate now, like whether or not buying land in the metaverse is interesting anymore. Um, you know, that's definitely like cooled down for sure. Um, you know, especially earlier, we talked about free to own type stuff too. So those things constantly toggle, but I'm bullish and excited about the idea that like we are finding unique ways to build solutions that blend things that we do both physically and digitally in a way that's more native than, you know, what we currently have. To I mean, I, following your example, which I think was very useful, the, you know, snail mail to email to NFT or wallet, let's call it. I just simply anchor on the fact that every website is going to become a metaverse experience mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and all yeah. platforms will be metaverse experience. Facebook saw this long before anybody else. They're like, platforms cannot exist in this 2D world when you can create it in 3D immersive experiences. What that means is dot, 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 we don't know. But that's the, that's the ground is every single website will change into something that is more immersive in nature and maybe more community-driven in nature where people can get together, talk, show things, digest things. Yes. And I think, you know, like a trading platform is why should it be a bunch of numbers on a screen when you can have your own trading room and sit next to other people in the metaverse experience you don't need to wear a headset you can create this so i just think it replaces all websites yeah Endless. and it is it is it is very interesting too because it feels like it could be moving a lot faster to the benefit of everybody um but there's so much gymnastics that has to be done around like the hardware that people use, right? The rules of what Apple allows, right? The rules of what Google allows, the rules, like there's like, we still need to use these sort of like hardware type systems. And the most obvious one is the Apple tax and their rules around, you know, crypto and how those things could be exchanged on their platform. So I actually think like we'd be even moving a lot faster to the benefit of everything, but there's all of those kind of hurdles that need to be overcome. But I agree. I mean, I think when we think of things being more experiential, we see it in like the music space as well. It's like, you know, we're we're right now streaming concerts from home. Like when I can't see a fish show, I'll I'll watch it on the TV. Like it's going to be a lot better when I can actually feel like I'm in the crowd seeing that show live. Like that is something without a doubt I pay for. So I mean, I'm hearing crazy stories about what Netflix is working on in this space. Yeah. Yeah. Where you can actually be part of a film or a series and you can play a role and you can have different endings depending on how you... Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I mean and, and apparently it's pretty far advanced. I only heard this last week. I'm like, holy shit. I mean, there's so much going on. Um, the people I th found is interesting was, have you come across Vatum yet? I haven't. I haven't. We invested in OnCyber. Yeah, which is, it's similar to OnCyber, but Vatum is like 
three years ahead of everybody. Okay. It's unbelievable. Uh, on Cyber, I love. I've had Ryan on the show as well. Amazing what they've built. Incredible. Yeah. And we've been yeah. building experiences yeah. for Real Vision within that as well. I love it. But Vatim, that's my tip. Nobody's ever heard of it. They're, they're, I think they're further ahead than Facebook. Oh, awesome. I'm going to jump on it. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, my friend, fantastic as ever. We touched a zillion topics um, and never as much time as we'd loved. But uh, it was brilliant to see you again. Yeah, thanks again. Always the best being able to jam with you. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, and finally, we'll get a beer together at some point. Yes, please. (laughs) All right, take care. When you talk to Jared, you have so many learnings because he's got his eyes across everything. He's a great thinker and a great communicator. And just hearing how he sees the lie of the land, what areas he's investing in and why, I think is priceless information. What surprised me most about Jared is, as ever, his breadth of knowledge, his enthusiasm and passion for all of this, and his ability to have a hypothesis says, well, it's yet to be unproven, but this is what I think, and I'm going to test it. It's just that open-mindedness finds opportunity, and I love that in Jared. Hi, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed listening, I've got a free membership waiting for you. If you want to understand the future of everything, then understanding digital assets is the key. We're not ever going back to a pre-crypto world. Blockchain technology is transforming literally everything from communities to healthcare to real estate to, well, everything. That's why in 2020, we launched Real Vision Crypto, the world's premier cryptocurrency and digital assets video channel. Right now, Real Vision Crypto is helping more than 300,000 members around the world understand the biggest wealth creation opportunities in a generation and maybe of all time. And even better, Real Vision Crypto is completely free. All you need to do is input your email address and you get full access to all of the videos and the incredible emails too. Please visit realvisioncrypto.com. That's realvisioncrypto.com and start learning about this incredible world.